Welcome to Benbo's podcast. In this episode, I talk with my good friend, Anna Kuriakos. So we talk in this podcast about creativity and education, learning, teaching, classroom management. Enjoy. What do you think about creativity? And, and how much is creativity a part of your life? That's a good question. How much is creativity a part of your life? I think it's one of it's like a thing that I I I love thinking about. I'm mm. not sure that it's a huge intentional part of my life. Um, thinking about how? What what do you think about? I think often about innovation. And innovation mm. I feel like is is like the it's like the act of creativity. Right? It's mm-hmm. like giving creativity hands and legs and um mm. so I don't know. Creativity seems to me like I think of there's got to be an element of of newness and difference from Mm -hmm. what exists, right? And so Mm -hmm. there has to be an understanding of what exists. And then there has to be a questioning of why that is Mm. or you know, why is the default the default? Why is, why is this the way I think of it? Um, and then there has to be kind of a dismantling of that in order to, to step outside of it. And I don't know that, I think some people are just so well practiced in that, that they don't, that they don't go through those things consciously. But when I think about it sometimes, and I'm trying to like foster creativity in students I work with, I'm thinking mm-hmm. like, how do you make the the invisible visible to them? Like, how do you make the constructs visible such that they can Mm -hmm. step outside the box? Like if you can't see the box, if you don't know you're in a box, you can't really step outside the box or you won't know when you're outside the box. So Mm -hmm. I feel like one of the, this is more in terms of teaching creativity or thinking about how to identify it. Um, I feel like there's an, there has to be an identification of what is in order to establish or even move towards what could be. Does that make sense? Yeah, like the idea that you have to learn the scales before you can improvise. Yeah, yeah. Or something, you say yeah. something different. You can improvise and know that you're you're no longer, you know, within the the limits set for you. Um, mm, I see. Yeah, I don't. I I mean, I don't know. Like, in what context are you thinking about it? And tell me where your where your brain is. Well, I, mean, I, th- I thought about it when you mentioned making the documentary, and that yeah. when I when I was doing filmmaking, that was a creative outlet that I really enjoyed. And as you know, I've been dabbling in in writing lately, um, and that you know that's that's become a different outlet, a different creative outlet. And there's a guy, an author named Chris Fox. He writes like science fiction, space opera stuff okay um but he's also written a couple of books nonfiction books about writing and he's done some videos and so forth he's got a lot of great stuff and he used to be a a coder i think and he talks about how you know you have these 24-hour coding marathons or you have a coding sprint where somebody just sits down and they just start coding away typing away and they don't go back and check their work and it's only when they finish after 30 minutes or an hour, okay, let me stop. Now let me go back and you know fix all the little mistakes. Right. And he ported that idea over to writing where he does a, a detailed outline 
And then he just has a writing sprint where he sits down and he knows, okay, this chapter, um, Anna and Ben are going to talk about creativity. And then bang, he sets his clock for his alarm for 20 minutes, his timer for 20 minutes, and he just writes and he doesn't stop. He doesn't correct anything. He knows he's misspelling things as he's going Mm -hmm. and he just goes. And that piece of advice has been extraordinarily helpful for me. And that's, that's what I do when I'm in that creative phase of just get it out, get the first draft done. The first draft is not going to be good. You're going to make it good in the rewriting. But I think sometimes in a lot of different areas, people get stuck at, at the starting line. Yeah. And, you know, this idea of do something really messy, but just do it is an incredibly freeing piece of advice. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that I think you've always been good at this. Like since I've known you, Mm -hmm. I feel like you've Mm -hmm. always been good at like the take the jump and then iterate. Like you Mm -hmm. don't actually need to know all the steps Mm -hmm. before you start. Um, That's something that I think I'm, I'm good at in, in some arenas and and not so good at in others. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know that I've ever heard anything different from anyone who is a creative, you know, it is, it is like Mm. time tested advice Mm -hmm. that you do. And then you iterate, um, whether it's creating a prototype of something or doing a work of art or you're, you know, whatever. I mean, I can't name one time when someone's been like, yes. And then I, I planned it all. And then I exited. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mapped it out to the nth degree. Yeah. And I, it just came out perfect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. It's funny, you know, I've been um, doing various interviews for jobs and and yet another um, graduate school degree. And no one's asked me this yet. Uh, maybe people don't ask this anymore, but I was thinking about how I would answer the question, okay, what are your weaknesses? And I'd say, you know, my, my biggest weakness, quote unquote, is whatever I do the first time around, it's going to suck. And then the second time it's going to be better. And the third time it'll probably be great or it'll be pretty good. But just that idea of, like you're saying, just get it out there and then start iterating. Um, It's, uh, yeah, it's really, it's really freeing. I think when you, when you accept that things don't have to be perfect right out of the box. Yeah. I think that's true. And I think it, you know, it also depends on the stakes, right? Like the stakes Mm -hmm. of, of doing something that doesn't necessarily work. Yeah, you, you don't want your brain surgeon iterating. <laughs> this way. <laughs> okay, next time we won't cut that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember there was a there was a fifth period class, oh man, in Hollandale. It was a geometry class. And it was one of those that, you know, in, in Hollandale, you go to you go to lunch with your students. Right. A fair process, like the lunchroom can't accommodate the entire school. How 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 else are you going to get to see the whatever fight happens that week first thing? Right, so you're watching high. You have to like supervise high school students eating, and that is yeah. also when you eat your lunch. So yeah. all of that happens yeah. at the same time. Um, and there we we had these like in order to keep things fair because the the lunchroom couldn't accommodate everyone. At, th- at two or three different points in the year, we switched when certain classes would go to 
lunch. So for example, lunch mm-hmm. was like 20 minutes, first of all. And right, I know. Uh, it's, like, it's like going through the line. It's like walking to the lunchroom, down. going through the line, eating your lunch, putting your tray up and walking back to class all right. in 20 minutes. And, and, and you're, in, you're actually in a line of like people from all over the school. It's not just your class. Yeah, it's like a hundred people in life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the um, so for for part of the year, you would be in a lunch, which is the first twenty minutes. Of, so this is over like the course of, I, I guess it would be an hour. We had like forty plus minute classes. So mm-hmm. you'd be the first, it would be your fifth period class would come in. You would take them to lunch. You would bring them back after twenty minutes, and then you teach your lesson. If you mm-hmm. were in B lunch. You would teach, they would come in, you would teach 20 minutes, then you would go to lunch for 20 minutes and you'd come back and teach another 20 minutes. If you were in Mm -hmm. lunch, you were the last 20 minutes. So needless to say, fifth period was so difficult for everyone because your routine is being changed up multiple times throughout the year. And it's the time when people are either very hungry or have Mm -hmm. just eaten, you know, Mm -hmm. or food. It's just hard to teach anything um, in that class. And so I remember thinking like, None of my, I mean, at that time, so many of my classroom management methods were, were like punitive. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking I, I have to, tr- like what, what was working in other classes was not working here. So I remember doing like a three strikes rule, a copy assignment rule, you know, step into the hallway, call your parents rule, I, you know, just whatever, until I could get to a point where this, I felt like I had some level of control over how the the period would run regardless mm-hmm. of at what point we went to lunch. And I think like that process was valuable, but in the meantime, I mean it was weeks and weeks of just like not being able to teach anything. So down from a brain surgeon level, just the stakes felt high mm-hmm. even in the process of iteration and so you kind of feel a pressure to to not just plan anything, but to really plan something that you think might work because Otherwise, you don't get to do the thing you need to do, which is teach. Did you find something that worked? I did. I can't, I don't remember what it was, but I do remember like this was the process that I, that I used to just like try multiple things. And eventually, I mean, let's be honest. It's much more likely that I just took enough time to try stuff that at the end of the trials, like the year had, part of the year had better. I just knew you better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there can yeah. be any number of reasons that at that time stuff started working and it may, it may have had nothing to do with my trials. Um, but sticking through it, like being there at the end of, at the end of like the first few months and that kind of stuff probably, probably, probably bought me some um, credibility with students, which helps like that's, that's really what you need to. Yeah. To yeah, them. for sure. They, they, they need, you're building trust. Yeah. And you're building trust amongst a group that they've had teachers rotating in and out for their entire academic career. I mean, and I, I was I was part of that cycle too, right? So. Yeah, so was I. Um, it's interesting because what, what you're talking about is purely external things out of your control, and, and but still trying to find a way to to manage it. And you know, I think about this more lately. Uh, more than anyone else, I was responsible for for the the training curriculum of that you went through and that other teachers went through, especially as it pertains to classroom management. Mm-hmm. And and you know the the idea of rewards and consequences 
is is was my you know that was my um, wasn't my I didn't come up with it but that was certainly um, a main factor in the training that I put together yeah. and I just think it was like I don't know if it was wrong but I kind of think it was wrong you know that that um, so Miss Kimball is a teacher that you and I both taught with. Um, yep. She overlapped with both of us. Mm-hmm. She put something on Facebook the other day where she was saying, she's a math teacher, and she was saying, you know, when she, the first couple of years that she taught, if, if we started the same year together, um, if a student, you know, came into class with an excuse, I couldn't get my homework done because of this, that, and the third, she would just say, it's a zero, you know, zero tolerance, no excuses. And now it's like, that's fine. Just turn it in when you get a chance. Just, you know, having a lot more patience and a lot more empathy, even if a kid is kind of pulling one over on you. Sure. I think, I think is the, is the correct way to go with the caveat that I'm not a high school teacher anymore. (laughs) If you're a high school teacher and you got, you know, kids acting a fool, you need something, I think. So I don't know. I'm sort of, yeah. you know, I go back and forth on that in my mind. I think. I mean, I think it's, again, I don't actually think that it's Miss Kimball, Miss Kimball's, like, change in technique that has started to work. I think it's the years that she has committed to teach. Right. Because that's what happened in between those two interventions, right? It's not like the first day you walk into a school – you, like you and I both look nothing like the students that we taught. The mm-hmm. first day you walk in to a school where, you know, teacher turnover is, is high every single year. Students mm-hmm. have been, um, you know, I, I would almost go as far as to say like lied to about yeah. their educations and, and yes, hundred percent. Right. Um, yeah. You walk into that school and you have no relationship with the students. You're 20 something. Mm-hmm have mm-hmm. just taken a test to prove that you can teach this subject and, right. and have gone through, which, I don't, which you don't even have to take anymore. Right. <laughs> and have gone through eight weeks of teacher training that, right. you know, mostly Insane. in role plays with other people who went to schools like you and, you know, are very right. similar to you. Right. So that's your, that's your training. When you step into that environment, you can't, I, I really don't believe you can be like, I'm just going to have patience with everything that comes. Right. Like you have right. to do something to figure out how to one survive yourself and mm-hmm. two like figure out how to teach. Like you, you really are building the plane while you're flying it mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in that circumstance. Yes. Two years down the line, three years down the line, 15 years down the line, I bet you could do nothing right. about that same issue and right. still get results you needed because you've built the most important part of it, which is like, you proved yeah. that you're going to stay. You proved that you believe in students. I mean, hopefully, right? You've built trust. You're reliable. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's actually a pretty good, it's a pretty good metric of like how, um, how much trust your students have or how much trust you've built with students to, to think about how few rewards and consequences you need to depend on to manage behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because the, one of the books that we used to use, I haven't looked at it in years. I should go back and look at it and see if I still think it's good, is 
the the famous first days of school by Wong and Wong. Yep. And they talk about when a kid walks into your classroom on the first day, he or she wants to know, um, one, am I safe? Is this a safe environment physically, emotionally, spiritually? And then, you know, if I need to use the bathroom, what do I do? If I need to sharpen my pencil, what do I do? Where do I sit? Just it's a combination. They want to know sort of, and it's true for anybody. It's true for anybody of any age when you go into a new environment. Those are the things are you the want rules? to know. Yeah. And so having set rules that you enforce right. communicate the idea that you're safe. Right. At the same time, it's like like you were saying, it's survival mode. Everybody's in survival mode. Um, and especially in a in a critical needs district, every you know, things are under resourced. Like we talked about, teachers are coming in now, and everybody's in survival mode and not always treating each other in the best way. And so I sort of feel like that, again, you know, consequences for for your behavior, like very much operant conditioning, right? Classical Mm -hmm. conditioning um, just perpetuates that survival mode. Yeah, I agree um, to an extent because I think Mm -hmm. that that's true. Um. I think that's true, like depending on what the consequences and depending on, you know, what the rewards are and whether they're actually meaningful in people's lives. But I also think like there is a component of consequences that really is just about predictability, which comes back to safety. Like if Mm. students are aware that other students cannot say or do certain things because the teacher will act when that happens, Mm -hmm. then they feel safer. Right. Because they feel like, you know, I know what's going to happen if something goes wrong. And mm-hmm. that's totally dependent not on posting consequences. It's dependent on enforcing them, which is always right. right? Like consistency that's is, the wrong, I don't yeah. know, I, that I've said a word more in the first year of teaching. Um, right. We were, we were taught so much about how, how consistency really is the key. Like it doesn't matter what you, what you say you're going to do. If you don't do it, you might as well have said you were going to do it. And if kids don't believe you when you say what the consequences now determining what those consequences are, I think is like even more of an art, but I think that's like a secondary concern for a student. Like the student is usually not so uh, caught up with what the consequence is as mm-hmm. they are with how inconsistently you're hundred them out. hundred like, Why did I get this? And they didn't get it. That's much more of an issue than what do I have to do? I have to make, I have to do this copy assignment. I have to get a right. One of the best things I ever did was towards the end of my, my high school teaching career. And, you know, the first day, the first week I would talk about, the the I don't think I use rules anymore, but the expectations in the classroom. Right. And then I would say, and I'm going to enforce these expectations ninety percent of the time. Mm, and ten yeah. percent of the time, the severity I'm not. clause. <laughs> What's the severity clause? Do you remember there was a there was always a we were, we were taught when we made our classroom management plans. This is the opposite of what you're saying, which is like oh, you like you just go right, right you can go right to the principal's exactly, office. Exactly. I reserve the right to not enforce these, and I also reserve the right to skip this matter. Right, right, right. You you could skip A, B, and C if you act a fool enough. Exactly. So this this was just pre, it goes back to expectations, right? 
this was just pre-setting the, or this was setting the expectations. And I would say this explicitly. I'd say 10% of the time, I'm not going to enforce these consequences. And that's because either I know something or I sense something about whatever individual student is not meeting these expectations. And I know that giving this student whatever consequence at this time is not going to be beneficial or helpful. And so and all the students? I say to all the students and I'd say, and I'm not going to explain beyond that. So right. you just have to be okay with that. And if you say that, I mean, it sounds almost crazy that people would be okay with that. They were totally okay with that. Yeah. And then when I wouldn't, you know, for, for whatever reason, because I knew something or I, I suspected something, when I didn't enforce an expectation, everybody was okay with it. Right. Well, because I mean, also in that scenario, the student is thinking of when that when that person is me, that might be me. Exactly. Yeah, when that exactly. person is me, like this feels better to me. It feels safer to mm-hmm. me that someone mm-hmm. would give me the benefit of, you know, the doubt about what what's going on, um, mm-hmm. and then I'm not sure. Which is which is true. Every every time any student does something out of, yeah. you know, that don't align with your expectations, right? Like something is going on that yeah. probably has very little to do with the thing that you're asking them to do. Yep. And I feel like the, the, it's always a balance between like, do you have the time, energy, and the classroom management to be able to address that individually versus do, mm-hmm. do you have to make an expedient decision and then mm-hmm. come back to it? Or do you have to actually give that student your time then to address something? Right, um, right. It's always a balance. And I think the, the better of it, I won't even say, I think the more experienced of a teacher you are, the more you teach, especially in one given place, the more you get to know which one of those scenarios you're in and where you mm-hmm. distribute your time. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it is appropriate to leave the class and address one student's issue. Mm-hmm. But yep. no one can ever say that that's the, you should always do that. Right. You, usually it's not. Usually it's not. Exactly. Sometimes. 20% of the time it is. Exactly. And that's, that's where that, that's where that, Miss Kimball experience comes in. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Once you know how, I think it's also you getting to know yourself, right? It's getting to know students, mm-hmm. but it's getting to know like mm-hmm. what are, I had a, I was in a PD once and one of the um, admins said like, you have to figure out very early on, what are your taboo issues? Like what are the things that you will make a big deal about the first time because you never want it to happen again? Hmm. In That's interesting. Um, yeah. And, and I think like, there are some ob- there were some obvious ones for me, right? Like you can't say certain words, you can't do certain actions, you can't whatever. But then there are ones that did not seem as obvious until I was in the classroom and I realized like this bothers me because it, mm. it doesn't let me do what I need to do. And then you mm. you backwards plan from that. I've always said like you backwards plan from the chaos. Like you you mm. start with like a thing that you really you and this is a personal thing. This is going to vary between teachers. You start with a thing that you do not want to happen, and then you backwards plan to you know how do I prevent, prevent that? How that do I eliminate? Yeah, I mean, you yeah. do you remember how? And I don't know if this was just this wasn't just a Hollandale thing. This was I feel like a Mississippi thing though, where like crumpling up paper was such a big deal that people had rules about it. Was that <laughs> maybe? I don't know. I can't. I, this is springs to mind like, quickly. There were rules about like you cannot crumple up paper. crumple paper. Yeah, and <laughs> my my second place that I taught in, 
um, I remember that being an issue. And the, the, the reason would be students would make a mistake on a math problem, which happens literally multiple times every All month. All the time. Right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. the point. Mm-hmm. And they would tear out the sheet of paper or take it out of their binder, crumple it up and throw it into the trash can. And this bothered me on like a noise disturbance level, but it also bothered me on just a paper waste. How much paper do we have to throw out? And all of it. And then, you know, Hollandale didn't recycle and and all those things. So um, in Newark, I just had the rule that when I, you know, when I started teaching in New Jersey, I was like, you cannot have loose leaf paper. You have to have a composition notebook. Mm-hmm. Because then right. you're, you're solving the problem. You're working backwards. <laughs> Other papers fall out. Yeah. Right? So you can't do that with a, a, a bound book. And then the issue was like, okay, so what do you do with a mistake? All right, I'll teach you what to do with a mistake. This is how I want mm-hmm. you to treat mistakes. So I think, but I would not have known that that was such a, a, you know, a trigger for me until I got to the point where I was like, this is interrupting every class of mine. And it may mm-hmm. be interrupting only for two seconds, but when 30 kids do it once every two seconds, you know, like right. yeah, yeah. an issue. And 100%. so let me eliminate this, this problem from the beginning. And then there was an issue of like, well, how do, you know, I don't want to buy a composition notebook. And I'm like, all right, I'll have a stash. Get, uh, take mm-hmm. it from me. Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. a dollar, right? Um, Solving problems. Yeah. Solving I'm, problems I'm, before they happen. Preventing problems. Right. Right. But I do think, I mean, this is going, going back to like innovation and creativity, like you can't have a creative solution until you know, where are the walls and where yeah. are, right. you know, what are the things that you actually want to break out of? Cause my, I think a lot of people did do a rule about you can't crumple paper mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily solve, you know, the habit. It doesn't change the habit for students and it also right. doesn't solve it anywhere, but your classroom and that means you have to take the time to enforce that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. 100% agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now I want to ask you, what was your consequence ladder? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, for sure. It was always the same. I mean, I, I can't remember what it was in Namibia. Namibia, everything was just a mess. But in Namibia, you also had much more of a... Um, I don't want to say culture of respect, but sure. kids were much more sure, um, sure. behaved. I remember there was, so my first year teaching in Namibia, it's, it's in the village. Uh, the school has intermittent electricity, no running water. And there's, um, there's a latrine. There's like the student latrine and there's like the faculty latrine, right? So even oh, okay. in the village, yeah. you have that separate, you have, you have the teacher's bathroom, right? Okay. Uh, teacher's bathroom is so much better than the student bathroom. Yeah. Anyway, um, one day there were some workers there. They were, they were building a new latrine and they had a radio that they were listening to. And when they broke for lunch or something, two students stole the radio. Oh. And they got they got caught, and the principal. Um, what happened? Oh, the principal called a staff meeting. So in the staff room, these two I guess it must have been tenth graders, so fifteen, sixteen year olds, seventeen year olds, because the kids maybe were a little bit older, and <laughs> the fact the teachers literally formed a gauntlet like a row, they were on either side 
and the students had to walk this gauntlet. No. And every single teacher hit the kids. Wait, uh, obviously, I didn't participate. But every single teacher beat these students. Then the principal sent the students home with a note explaining what happened. And the parents sent the students back and said, please beat them some more. Yes, it's so, like Hollandale, right? <laughs> so my yeah, so so my point is like kids, you know, students in Namibia were were um definitely definitely more more behaved. How did uh, they, but anyway, did they get go ahead. paddles? In Namibia? Yeah. No, it was like belts and shoes. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like like the school where I taught, it was like Grades four through ten, I think it was called. It was called the senior primary or junior second, senior primary. Yeah. Anyway, I remember one day I was on break and I was just walking down the. We had like different buildings, so I was walking outside and I just heard this whoop, whoop, whoop. So I poke my head in the. It's a fourth grade classroom, and all the kids are lined up, and the teacher is hitting each one of them with a belt. Fourth graders. And I was like, miss, I was like, what, what, what's going on? And she was like, oh, some of them didn't do their homework. Oh my God. So they all get beat. Oh. I mean, okay, so for listeners who think like this only happens in Africa, okay, this yeah. also happens in Mississippi. Oh no, did I lose you? Ben? Hey, okay, sorry, you cut out for a second. What'd you say? Oh, I said for listeners who think this only happens in Africa. Not right. true. Not this true. Happens in Mississippi. Yes. Not not to this extent, but for oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely not. And and there are more. I mean, I don't know if this makes it There's more guidelines. There's some laws surrounding a mark. What kind of tool you can use? Right. Um, but yes. What's What's messed up is in Namibia, it's illegal. Once Namibia oh. gained their independence in 1990, they rewrote everything and they said you know hitting children in school is illegal oh, wow. um, but it still happens because it's uh, a cultural expectation but in mississippi it's completely legal that's what people you know you tell people hey you can still hit students in mississippi and people think you're joking it's like no it's legal yeah yeah so but so anyway my consequence ladder has always been the same which is number one paddle make, Number one paddle, number two belt, number three shoe. No, oh um, <laughs> you have to uh, start out. You're number, number four knife, just a stabbing. No, <laughs> <laughs> no um, it, it was name on the board. That's your warning. Um, and then, say again. Silent warning. Silent warning. Yeah, so I don't have to interrupt my teaching, right? Um, or more importantly, enough, the kids don't have to interrupt what they're doing. And then. You know, you talk. So I only had two two rules: stay, can't get out of your seat. What? But I phrase them positively. So stay in your seat, and oh, that's better. I think it was it was keep your hands to you stay in your seat and raise your hand before speaking. Those are my rules. Two rules. Those were always my rules throughout all my years teaching, uh, even at university. Um, oh well. And no, I'm kidding. You know, you don't need rules at university. Hopefully. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if it's different there. What's that? I was thinking, I don't know if it's different there. <laughs> so anyway, name on the board. And then if you break a rule again, it's a tick, a check mark. 
by your name. Now you owe me a one-page essay, handwritten, why it's important to have class rules. And the kids hated that. And then what they really hated was they would bring me the essay the next day, and then I would just, you would hate this too, I would just crumple it up. I would tear it up in front of them and throw it up. And they'd be like, Mr. Guest, you ain't even going to read it? And I was like, no, I know why it's important to have class rules. I just want to, you know, <laughs> you know. So then the key question, of course, if you're a teacher is, okay, what if they don't bring it in the next day? So then it's double. So if you got two ticks, you owe me two pages. Now it's double. Now it's four pages. And if you don't bring that in the next day, then it's a write-up or it's a phone call home. And what's nice about that is now I've documented that, that I've taken several steps to address this issue. And the student at every point has chosen not to has chosen not to to follow through. But I don't, you know, I'm I'm ambivalent about all of that. Like it worked, but like I was saying earlier, I sort of think it was wrong. As an as an English teacher, how do you feel about the you know writing assignment as as punishment? Punishment? Yeah. No, that never bothered me because it was just more about I want you reflecting on this. Yeah, so they could have like done a podcast episode. Uh, that's funny there was like there was one kid Antonio Ray Ray um, he uh, he had his girlfriend write it and so I was like no you can't and there was because oh, it's just the handwriting and I was like you didn't write this because you know you know your kid's handwriting I was like you didn't write this yeah, you like, totally oh, whoever wrote it but there was one kid I remember oh, I wish I could remember the kid's name I gave him a consequence a tick uh-huh. next to his name and he just opened up his notebook and he had pre-written like five pages why it's important oh. in classrooms. And he just took one out and handed it to me. And I was like, okay. that's." A, and the kids were like, can you do that? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. He, he did it. Like he pre-wrote. Like like you, like you, he did the Anna Kariakos working backwards from that. <laughs> he took a page out of my book. I'm proud. I mean – in my mind, he earned whatever offense he committed. Yeah, he earned, yeah. And, he, and he earned his his way out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, mine were mine were similar. What were yours? Exactly the same. So I had a verbal warning, um, mm. and you know, it's only when you said silent warning that I'm like, why did I have a verbal warning? I have no idea. Why did you? You know, you like that confrontation. But, you know, I'd, I'd always make it, I've always been very quick about administering consequences. Like it never was like, mm. let's have a conversation about this in front of the class. It was like, you know, deliver it, move on and, mm-hmm. um, and don't engage further, you know, interrogation about it. Um, yeah. yeah. So it was a verbal warning. And then, and then I did, I did a written assignment too, but I did a copy assignment. So I mm-hmm. do. Yeah. A, I would give them um, something that they had to copy and bring back to me. And I did mm-hmm. because one, again, like you, I didn't really care what they wrote. And so I wasn't going to spend time reading it or looking over right. it or anything like that. Two, I didn't want to give the opportunity for improv, if you will, to mm-hmm. write whatever they wanted that had to do with why this was an awful assignment versus mm-hmm. anything else. And then three, I was also trying to be a little bit like, maybe I can introduce you to some great essays and poems. <laughs> but I did. So my first one, like at the very beginning of the year, it was Invictus. Right. And so they had to copy it once. If they, you know, first offense, second offense, they had to copy it twice. 
But every month I would choose a longer. <laughs> it went from like, I have a dream. There was another, there were right. letters. And so at the end, there was one time this girl, um, I forget what the offense was, but she brought it back and she was like, I really like this. I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting, she asked me, she was like, can I get it? And I'm like, can I do it again? <laughs> yeah, just act up, act up tomorrow. You get it again, no problem. You can, you can absolutely keep the paper because, like in my mind, that was a total win, like all around. Yeah. Like, yeah. and and the other thing was, if I gave a page number assignment, kids did all kinds of things to take up the page space. And so this was mm. like, I don't care if you do it in half a page or if you do it in mm-hmm. ten pages. You just have to write all the words of it, which hopefully mean that you're reading it which hopefully means mm-hmm. I just told them like the reason it's longer every month is because by the end of the year, I don't expect you to be making the same mistakes. This is like, we've had, this is not new news anymore. We were eight months in to not right. talking without raising your hand. So why mm-hmm. did you get, you know, 12 lines of a poem anymore? Um, but then there did was, you, did you change that later on in your career? How you handled consequences? Oh, yeah. I didn't have, I mean, I didn't even have consequences and rules as such written on my mm. wall at all when I was mm-hmm. in Newark. But, you know, that it depends on so many other things, right? Like Newark had a, the school I was in had a staff, like a number of people committed to, like they were deans who were committed to, right. Uh, right. you know, whether or not that. It was much more of a, of a infrastructure to assist. Exactly. To support that. And so. There was less of like a, you have to handle it in your classroom. Um, But also, again, by the time I had gotten there, I had a couple years of teaching under my belt and didn't, wasn't nearly as like intimidated by handling it in my classroom. So all things considered, I felt like management, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a thing I thought about. I feel like I thought about it every day, the first year of teaching. Right. How will I, how will I do this lesson? And what will I do when things go wrong? Right. Right. (laughs) You know, and not when things go wrong as in like misconceptions, but what will I do when like behavior goes wrong? Whereas it's it's something with teaching where if you have, and again, I'm completely ambivalent about all of this now, but that being said, if you have classroom management down, it's for the most part a really enjoyable job, and if you don't have classroom management down, it's a miserable job. Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would just add the the caveat that it, for me it depends on um, it also depends on the adults you work with, the people. Yeah, for sure. Meaning, for sure. Given if that's a, a healthy environment and you feel, um, you know, you're excited to work with those people, you're learning from those people, then yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. At the same time, you know, I have, and I'm guessing you have worked at schools where the, where for the most part, colleagues were great. And for the most part, colleagues weren't great. Either way, the majority of the time you're spending are not with your colleagues, it's with your students. So even that's, you know, in, in an environment where, you know, I didn't particularly like too many of my colleagues. I still wasn't, you know, it wasn't who I was spending the majority of my day with. That's true. And I think it depends on like how many of those people influence your day. Like at in Mm, really only the principal influences my day because they're Mm -hmm. part of my classroom management plan. Mm -hmm. Right. And if the principal Mm -hmm. is on point, it doesn't really matter what any of the other teachers are doing. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't care. 
Mm-hmm. But I think there was a lot more like staff staff collaboration um, at my second school. And so you do have like a, a department that you're working with because more than one person is teaching the same subject, which wasn't true in Hollandale because of the size of the school. Like if you're the math teacher, I mean, there were two math teachers and three math teachers in the high school and we all taught different subjects. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like there was a ton of um, collaboration or collaborative planning. So there's collaborative planning. There are shared goals. There are, you know, learning communities that are um, among teachers. There's a lot of department related stuff. There's grade level stuff. So I feel like there's just, you do interact more in the places where right. you interact more. It obviously matters more because it changes your experience. Like you, you right. are beholden to other people as well because you're part of a team. Whereas in Hollandale, you're kind of like, you're kind of on your own. Kind of on your own. What you do, yeah. what you do in your classroom is what you do in your classroom. And unless yeah. you are requesting support, no one's walking in just to like support you. Yep. I always tell people, so we shared a principal for about a month. The principal I had was the first principal you had for a month, but he was my principal for two years. And he, in two years, he walked into my classroom once and it was by accident. He was looking, he was looking for Mr. Demick, not Mr. Guest. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You were like, once you, once you had proven that you could at least keep, keep the kids somewhat on task. Yeah. That's yeah, if it just happened. if it wasn't chaos in your classroom, yeah, exactly. You all, it it's, just left you alone. Start streaming out of your room. You're yeah. <laughs> a decent house manager. No one wants to come inside and see what's happening. Exactly. Yeah, knowing too much. Okay. Well, this has been great. Thanks for jumping on my podcast. Sure. What's your podcast called? Um, I think it's just called Benbo's Podcast. That's how I listed it. That's descriptive. From Benbo's newsletter. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, we're talking about iterating. So I think this is episode eight and the newsletter and the podcast, everything's just iterating and seeing what, 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 what works, what I think is helpful, what readers and listeners think is engaging. So yeah, right now it's Benbo's podcast, but might be something different a week from now, two weeks from now. But this is the first non-basketball podcast I've done. I think it was great. Oh, such a shame. I know so much basketball stuff. <laughs> Next time. Next time you can share your, your your insights with us. Yeah, it'll be a little. Your insights about teaching and creativity and life. Um, those are all great. Cool. All right. Thank, okay. You ready for the outro music? I'm ready. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great day. Bye.